Good morning, everyone, and good evening for those who are listening to this evening. This is Leprechy, uh, the best podcast in the world about hospitality news. We do once a week uh, a quick summary of all the things that happen in hospitality, and of course, things that are also outside of the, the regular uh, service industry world, but yet again are then related. Uh, my name is Michael, and on the other side, we have Miriam. Hello, hello. Hello, Miriam. How are you today? How are you? I'm great. Uh, I can hear you are in uh, Afghanistan of the internet, meaning Switzerland. The signal is great. We can hear your voice very clearly. I am sorry I did not bring my microphone, so please apologize in advance in case my sound isn't very good. But we still it's... didn't want to leave out this conversation um, for this week. So. It's okay. We all know that Switzerland is the most expensive country in the world, so... I'm sure you would have to pay at least 100 euros just to get in with the microphone into the I country. think it also has to do something with my, yeah, Mac. I think my Mac is about eight years old. Maybe it's time to buy a new one soon. Just to, like, increase my hardware. Let's see. <laughs> well, on that note, I guess let's kick it off. Uh, would you like to start, Miriam? What have you found this week? Um, I mean, I think this week was... To me, it wasn't very spectacular in, in terms of news and what happened. But I found this article about A and O hostels and what their approach is on, on taking over the market and developing their brand and their business. Um, I don't think it's, it's what they're doing is not something particular to other buildings, but because it's a hostel brand, for them, I think it's a very good approach to enter the market. And what they do is they take old buildings whether it's like old office buildings and so on and so on, and transform them into hostels. And I think, I mean, you and I think, <laughs> I know that you think the same thing, that it is a great approach, right? You look for old buildings who are maybe not ESG conform but have great locations, and you turn them into hostels because hostels don't really need, um, for example, bathrooms in every room. They have much lower standards than a hotel, so it's actually super easy to take like buildings and, and transform them. And actually, yeah, there was an article about that in Skift, which I yeah thought was very interesting. It's called, they take dirty and ugly buildings and turn them into sustainable accommodation, which I think is a general thing, but A and Hostel kind of shares that as their general growth strategy. From my limited experience in uh, the real estate development world, I remember talking to multiple hostel chains and R&O was requesting, had one of the biggest uh, building sizes that they were requesting for. They go from 4,000 square meters and above. Yeah, until so they, 13 or 15,000, I think. Exactly. So they, they basically can take over entire, I mean, giant 10 uh, floor buildings. So it's uh, it's definitely a chain that, well, I mean, uh, let's not <laughs> bang on about how great or bad they are, but uh, they definitely have grown quite a bit in late yeah. periods. Big, big money machines, I think, because yeah, how many beds do they have, more or less? I mean, in, in total right now, oh, I need I to mean, uh, I need to look that up. Per, per hostel, I know they're huge. I mean, they're they start in Europe, right? Um, and they're still growing in Europe, and that's also where they want to expand in general. They'd rather go into yeah. I mean, the rule of thumb for hostels is about uh, 100 beds per 1,000 square meters, right? If you are a nice hostel and uh, let's, you know, a more sort of experience-driven hostel like Selena. And then if you have, uh, I don't know, probably goes up to 150 beds per times uh, 
a thousand square meters. So given that they have 15,000 square meters of spaces, right, they might have three, four, 5,000 beds in one property. Mm. Basically, basically a factory for, for groups and uh, travelers. Uh, exactly. I mean, that already kind of brings us to the next news um, that I found also quite, that goes into that and it speaks again about um, that the surging prices in travel hospitality kind of asks or like makes people go for more affordable options. We talked about more affordable travel options already last week or two weeks before when you spoke about Airbnb, how they venture into like Airbnb rooms and now um, there's an article about someone who has low budget but has been traveling for a whole year and kind of like what their hacks and tricks are to like travel affordably uh, and how the industry kind of makes sure that these options are available and it's pretty much, I mean, if you travel with a and all hostels, I'm pretty sure these are affordable ways to stay in a big city. Um, but actually the article kind of says that if you travel to big cities, maybe look in neighborhoods which are less, less known. Touristic. Exactly, less touristic or less known. Um, yeah, less. And then loyalty programs, actually, that's why many people are like signing up for different lower league programs because you get perks and um, reductions and stuff like that. And Many people actually combine work and leisure, but I also think that's not some, nothing completely new on the market, but this work and travel is a very big move um, in Europe. So yeah. the, the, the run for, for discounts and for better deals has started, basically. Yes, exactly. Perhaps in, perhaps in connection with the potential financial crisis looming over our heads. Yes. So do I you mean, have another hack on how to like travel affordably? I mean, really there's quite a few. Um, there's actually a very interesting study. <laughs> oh, uh, of, a, of an academic article about it? Or no, no there, there is an ethnographer who traveled, um, I think, well, I'm not sure if it was the world or maybe perhaps it was just Africa. And he stayed in 108 hostels and had like 200 something interviews with back, uh, backpackers and basically tried to isolate the things that these people care about, right? And one of the, the things that he saw was a culture of trying to find a better deal, right? So people would often, so the conversations that backpackers would always often have when they would meet for the first time, there was a specific list of them. And one of those was who got here cheapest, how to get there, how to get the best deal, where's the best place where there's not everything for free and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. So it's yeah. kind of like a, a, a brag culture. The cheaper you get, the better, the cooler you, as a traveler you are and uh, you know, the higher the status of a backpacker you get. So perhaps this is a, uh, this is just one of those, I mean, it's, it's a representation of that culture, I suppose. So it hasn't maybe not even connected to the financial market, just how backpackers are. I mean, but for those who, who are looking for, for good, uh, for good deals, I think the best uh, source is wiki travel. So there's actually a Wikipedia page called wiki travel.org uh, or I think .com. It's basically a crowd sourced uh, Wikipedia for travel explaining best bus routes, uh, explaining where you might get scammed, showing where you might get good deals and how to get there with the bus and so on and so forth. So it's it's basically written by people who travel on a daily basis as a kind of a job. <laughs> so, okay, so. But now I also kind of want to know your own like travel hack. Like what would you say, oh, when I did this, I like saved the most money. I think the, be the best thing you can do, the best thing I did with my travels was perhaps yeah. just uh, show up in, in a city 
look for a hostel, walk in and uh, ask for a price. That's the, that's the best travel hack you have. Uh, you, you're putting me on the spot here. Maybe I need to take a few days, write, write a few things down. No, I mean, on a, honest, honestly, there is, there's, I mean, first of all, there is websites like Couchsurfing, right? Where you can just travel for free outright. Second of all, you can always stay in a hostel and ask them if they want to, someone to work and travel there for a bit, right? So you can stay there for a few months, work and basically stay for free, right? And uh, Yeah, but I feel like so many, like, money saving. You have, like, five different cards to, like, park in Berlin where you, like, <laughs> Money. you're like you sign up for all the different park houses or something <laughs> i'm sorry to disappoint your thirst for good deals but something for travel as well i mean no i know one thing you always do you always get like those like bike things and like shared economy things like scooters in every city and then you like drive around with those instead of like yeah stop that i just take public transport it's much much cheaper and much more effective Okay, fine. Fine. I feel like you'd you'd have many of those little hacks. I think we can move on to next news. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, so from my side, I've I've also uh, was uh, right looking into what's going on this week. Not a lot of exciting stuff in at least in the hospitality world, but a few th- interesting things did happen. From my side, one was uh, Booking dot com might get a warning by EU antitrust organization. What does that mean? Basically, Booking.com is trying to currently acquire a travel group, a uh, basically another OTA called eTravely for almost 1.6 billion uh, euros. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, eTravely operates MyTrip, a website where you can book tickets and hotels and also TripStack. And um, according to Reuters, so they have internal sources in the EU antitrust organization. Um, basically, Booking might get a, a, a warning, which will force them to explain the actions and uh, perhaps even stop the deal. Wait, right. why? I mean, uh, the explanation is quite simple. Booking.com has uh, already been having issues with the European Union, right? In in the US, they still are allowed to force hotels to to have the lowest price on Booking.com. Well, in the EU, that clause that every hotel was forced to sign was um, basically decided as illegitimate by the European Union because Booking.com has such huge power in the market that forcing all the, all the hotels to you know have the lowest available prices on Booking.com was basically a monopolistic move. Mm. So, so it's gen- about price parity, the reason why they it, get fined or why they get pushed back. No, but they're basically grabbing so much market share right now that they are turning effectively into a bigger and a bigger monopoly. Okay. So, right, so th- and if they acquire an additional company now? They might, they most likely, I mean, it's not official yet, but most likely the, the EU antitrust will get involved to perhaps stop the deal. Hmm. So they won't get, okay. But did you know how the the price parity actually started? When Booking.com was, <laughs> was really, really small? hotels wanted them to make sure they have the same prices at least and now they became so big and it just turned around and now um booking.com is like no you need to say you have the same price as us because they started undercutting like expedia before so hotels were like no 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 we need that same prices well, well luckily in europe now that uh basically you don't have that anymore right so yeah. you can you can be on booking and you can have any, any price you want anywhere else which is fair i think so yeah, that's one of the one of the interesting news and perhaps pretty good for those who operate hotels in uh, in uh, in Europe. Another interesting set of news 
um, maybe quickly to go over it, was uh, Windham. So there has been rumors released that Windham might be taken over by Choice Hotels. And this is one of those, I mean, maybe not as exciting for everybody, but it's a pretty interesting observation. The stock price of Windham from the, the, on the day of the release of the rumor, because it was a rumor, it wasn't official, uh, went from 66 US dollars to 71. Right, and if you can see historically, they were at about sixty-six US dollars for the last three years, right? So nothing happened there, and all of a sudden uh, they went poop, dumped up to seventy-one. So it showed that the investors are definitely keen on <laughs> trying for, for them to be merged into another group. So there was basically now been talk of perhaps uh, the executive team on Windham to decide to actually do that because the investors are obviously very interested, right? And this is a, a traded company, therefore. Uh, Decisions are often made based on decisions, investors, um, well, investors, not feelings, but uh, wishes, right? So Wait, so does that mean they didn't even plan it? So is it kind of like a marketing stunt to see what the market thinks of it? And then based on what the, re- like... Nobody knows who did it, but it was uh, released by one of the, um, I think it was um, the Wall Street Journal. Um, I, I might be wrong. Uh, we have the source in the, in the link, mm. uh, in the description below. But basically, um, there was a rumor released that there's talks. And it wasn't, I mean, nobody knows who released it, right? It's right. just some newspaper released it. They didn't quote anybody from Windham. And after that, Windham actually denied any 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 sort of doings in this case. But uh, now they're apparently... The, they might be having conversations about that after all, because it obviously looked like investors are interested. Maybe just an interesting learning for the rest of us that uh, hospitality companies act mostly the same as the other companies, as long as they are on the stock exchange. I mean, for sure, they're just businesses. I mean, it's business. <laughs> yes, that's correct. I mean, they're definitely doing... Um, doing pretty, pretty... I mean, they're doing well, right, as a, cha- as a chain. They, they might be not the best one in the world, but uh we'll and, see how it goes and actually i think i don't know how it is for you but i feel like choice hotels has never been really on my radar in the past i don't know if that's if I, because i wasn't in touch but it's like one of the biggest franchise givers in the whole world like yeah it's definitely top 10 hotel chains in the world over seven thousand hotels uh worldwide and i was just kind of like hmm, choice hotels i mean that's big but i think because you rarely see like choice hotels somewhere on buildings like Hyatt, you see everywhere, right? Like, so if in every city you have four Hyatts, I don't know. But Choice Hotels is just not so present in like terms of marketing. Or... Yeah, they are definitely not as sexy. Let's put it this way. <laughs> <laughs> but they are making Hyatt. money, right? And, and they bring that sort of um, security to a hotel operator, right? I don't think they go mostly for, let's say, central Astoria-type buildings, but mm. they go for a lot of... Um, second tier uh, locations, even in the, within the cities themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And um, still manage to make whatever profit margin they do, right? So it's one of those very steady, very, very safe uh, investment types for a, let's say, a owner of a building, mm-hmm. knowing if they put choice hotels into their building, then uh, they will get in a 10% profit margin for the net, for the for eternity, yeah, <laughs> basically. Exactly. It might not be 20, 30, there might not be a lot of exciting growth or cool slogans and cool marketing campaigns, but they will be making money, so. Yeah. I'm years ready. ago, years back when I was working for a developer, once again, they, um, they actually, uh, the consulting firm, that was uh, advising us on uh, what to, what uh, operator to put in the building, actually brought up Choice Hotels, okay. and uh, 
well, it was politely declined and an office space was put in, but <laughs> I think that's besides point. <laughs> I mean, actually, it's quite a good point. It makes the point because uh, you either make a choice or you make an office. <laughs> it's quite... Yeah, I guess that's where you compare it to, right? It just depends on um, which class you're comfortable with. I mean, it's still the same discussion. All right. I think on that note, unless Miriam, you have anything to add, we will move on to externalities. What happened in the world of, well, news in general that perhaps might be relevant to to the rest of us. Let's move. Next move. Um, so a few interesting things have happened. First and foremost, I think for those who were very nervous, uh, the U.S. default has been uh, moved away. Uh, by the time we were writing this article, there was still negotiations. <laughs> so there was still talks and we were planning to publish that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might happen, might not happen. It's getting very close. But apparently today, a deal was reached. Meaning so, the US is not default? Not yet. No collapsation. No. So people can go on, go on with their day and uh, not worry about the government not paying their bills. Let's put it this way. What was the deal they made? Um, well, it's quite interesting. So we, we looked into an article from The Economist, right? And basically, uh, the joke is that because of a deadline that it was forced on both political parties, they kind of went through almost the entire fiscal policy for the next 10 years and had to agree on every single little thing, right? I'm not sure how big the document there is. And obviously, uh, it hasn't been fully like released or published, right? What exactly is going to be happening in the next 10 years? And I'm sure some things actually maybe even secret, right? Mm. But the point is they, they went through uh, government spending. They went through uh, basically all kinds of things that they want to do. So, for example, the Republicans want to start cutting down on the um, on the national debt, right? So currently the national debt of the United States is about 100% of the GDP. Mm-hmm. And over the next 10 years, uh, Republicans, want, Republicans want to actually decrease the debt, right? And then it also goes into, I'm sure, clean energy and where do we put the money and blah, blah. So it, it um, it's a good example of that uh, even uh, the top leaders of the top country in the world behave differently when they have a deadline, <laughs> <laughs> like an exam coming up, right? So we all know that feeling. Yeah, basically, as, as, I mean, neither, neither you or I are maybe so involved in the U.S. politics, but the article goes into uh, the fact that up until recently, right, there wasn't a lot of talks about fiscal policies and people were like, right, there wasn't a lot of agreement because it's kind of almost 50-50 in terms of um, who represents the Senate, right? And as a result, um, this actually forced the two parties to come together and have a discussion. Sounds like really good, actually. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, put, right? Maybe not the most exciting news for for most of us. However, it's very important, right? If if they would have gone, if they would have gone through with actually declaring a default, uh, this would have changed quite a few things for quite a lot of people. Sure. Um, another big set of news, I think, which was very interesting, and I'm sure uh, you, Miriam, would be very excited. Uh, Social Progress Index. What is that? Exactly. So Social Products Index is an index organized by the Social Progress Initiative, an organization that tries to basically take a take a look or go away from the GDP calculation of how well the economy is doing, but actually take a look at how well the people are off. So for, not in terms of maybe, uh, let's say, equal income or something, but rather how, you know, how good the medical support is, how, my, how good the democracy is in their country or... Um, basically how much support the government of that country gives them to to, to live their lives. Hmm. By the way, Switzerland is number one in that list. So 
must be must be must feel pretty good. Except the internet, I suppose. Uh, maybe yeah, they've forgotten about that. But then again, moved to Berlin, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the perception of the locals is that they don't need it, right? Because they already have everything else. So why should you? Have, why, should, why do you need the internet? Um, <laughs> they have good internet. Leave them alone. So there was basically been interesting. Um, uh, it was been it's been a very interesting article to look into how the social progress index has been developing in the past few decades, right? So now they've basically closed the study to look at the index from the 19, since the 1990s and 2020. They and see the index? Like you said, okay, how the government supports it with healthcare, I guess. Zero. No, no, it's the same The same uh, indicators that they track. I mean, we can go into detail for every single thing they, they track, but I'm not sure it's that, as exciting. But in general, right, it summarizes sort of the, the, the well-off, uh, being of a citizen of a government related okay. to government services. Like how safe they feel and trust in their systems. And exactly. Yeah. Um, so, interesting trends. Top 10 countries, guess what? Are most uh, Western countries. So, there is no, no, there's no Bhutan in there, there is no Peru or any other place. But, on the other hand, um, the countries that are uh, well off are not necessarily the highest GDP countries. So the GDP growth as well in the past 90, uh, 30 years was not associated with the growth of the social progress index. Okay. So while the United States had a really high growth in GDP in the past 30 years, the actual social progress index has decreased. <laughs> or interestingly enough, uh, compared to China, for example, had a 11th X growth in GDP in the past 30 years, mm-hmm. and only a, miser- a mere 45% growth in social progress index or basically a half an x uh, since 30 years so um very interesting uh, very interesting piece of uh data right uh, maybe yeah, sure. helps us uh, take a look at how the government works from a slightly different perspective i suppose yeah i think it's really like how how you do how you balance right growth if you say us and china have been the fastest growing ones in that term um, maybe also sometimes if you need to grow or you want to grow quickly, if it impacts the social social life of your country. And sometimes you build on the back, I mean, not sometimes, generally, I guess you build um, on the back of news too much. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the most important part of news, I guess, in this case is growth uh economic growth is not always associated with uh, the well of the people who live in that growth in that country of that oh. growth so um i recommend everybody who's listening to maybe go take a look at the link uh or just google social progress and next take a look at where your country was in the past 30 years um and see how it developed right uh, we can often you can often connect uh, a lot of the social the, the changes in the index with uh, whatever policies were implemented by the governments right Germany, by the way, is uh, number five, I think. Mm-hmm. So, doing pretty well. I see. I think um, maybe we should end the episode on that. That's my conclusion. <laughs> so, well, unfortunately, the exclusive club of people who live in Switzerland is pretty closed. Yet you can go to Germany, right? Uh, pretty easy for a lot of people out there. So, and it's <laughs> okay, not that complete, complete different topic now. So that's a complete new discussion. I think we should move on to the next news. <laughs> All right, next piece of news. Um, I mean, this one is, is pretty interesting to me, right? Because we've talked about in the past few weeks and months uh, about how different countries uh, 
go into sort of trying to diversify and during the corona period try to find new sources of uh, attracting investment tourism whatever yet um, other countries perhaps did something else so this is not a very big piece of news but uh, <laughs> there's been satellite images of north korean border and apparently the big thing that they did during the uh, pandemic in the past uh, well, let's say two and a half years is build a wall <laughs> so they've built a wall in the chinese border down to the russian border basically to prevent uh, most likely people escaping their country. So, well, I think it's an interesting observation, right? So while some countries are trying to attract people and trying to attract investment, others build a wall so that nobody can escape their country. Yeah. Especially the interesting part was, um, right? I mean, we've all heard of the build the wall and, you know, against Mexicans so they can't get in the United States. This is a very different kind of wall. Imagine Mexico building a wall so that nobody can escape Mexico. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much like in Germany, where people weren't supposed to escape when we go into the West and, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, communism, I guess, tends to have a, a chilling effect for these people, so, so that people need to be kept inside uh, by force. Then I feel that. I don't feel that much about it. Yeah, I mean... Then... Get the satellite and see what they're building, so... Yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't announced in the PR campaign, right? Hello, North Korea, we're building a wall. It's much safer now. You'll now be able to escape. <laughs> Hashtag North Korea is safe. Yeah. <laughs> right? But, um, I mean, I think it's also one of those pieces of news that uh, it's uh, useful and healthy to look at because often people complain about whatever is going on in their world, in their country, mm -hmm. yet uh, it's, everything is relative. For sure. You know, history I think... On, the, on that note, I think we can go into the last piece of news this week. Well, maybe actually, no, let's go two more things. So, <laughs> you almost forgot your academic article. Yes, Come on. I mean, uh, this one you will really like. So, <laughs> question to you question to you. What do you think creativity does? So, let's say you have a, a company, right? You have a team that is creative and a team that isn't creative in hotels. What do you think? How do you think that impacts? Uh, the performance of that business or of that department, let's put it this way. How it impacts, I think the creative man is much more successful. Or what is your question? You want to know what, how I think creativity and non-creativity impact? Like impact yeah, so what, what, what are creative teams better at doing in hotels and hospitality specifically than those that are not creative? I think they're open for feedback and can listen to create something new together and they're open yes they're they're not afraid to share new ideas and so I basically so creativity right allows you to create new ideas to innovate to, to come up with new stuff yes. yes well that that was kind of the right the common sense uh, for creativity i mean i think most most people mm -hmm. but a, very, a new recent study that was released a few days ago show uh, basically looked into um teams in the different hotels mm. and try to rank them at creativity levels mm. basically seeing how well how creative the people are and found out that actually creativity yes obviously helps uh, any team or company to come up be more innovative and come up with new ideas however also and that's the, i think the important and very interesting part of uh, this article this this paper is uh, they actually are also way more flexible mm. to change so a creative person is more 
open to change to to things that are maybe new right because they are more capable of comprehending that there's something else than that what they've been used to doing mm. and is also much better at solving mundane administrative problems in the organization because they're better at adaptation better at uh, thinking of you know okay this is how the process goes how don't why don't we actually flip it around and try to do something else with it so it doesn't only apply to you know let's think of some new cool product that we have Mm -hmm. but actually works really well within the day-to-day business okay so i I think i do like that you're you're absolutely right but i also think wait i think creativity also is a social aspect because I, you know, I was listening to a podcast with Brené Brown because I love Brené Brown, of course, and Simon Sinek or something, and they talk about how creative teams um, are a place where everybody is able to put out their ideas and people build on top of each other's ideas, kind of, and everybody is comfortable to share things, which I think really impacts a team right because that also has to do a lot with like social interactions if i'm able to share my creative ideas and i'm not scared that somebody makes fun of me or i get like put down um i will feel much more comfortable sharing my ideas which also think impacts the social aspect so i think it's even like an additional one yeah i mean this is not contradictory right to the to the to the paper it's it's an add-on I mean, obviously, creativity is a very complicated topic, but I think what we can both now agree with is that whenever you're hiring new people in hotels, don't always look for, you know, experience in the reception or ability to deal with stress, but also look at how creative they are. Because it might make your business more flexible, more capable of doing things. And, you know, those typical things where, oh, we're implementing a new tool to help you work. And then you get a very strong pushback why don't we do that? Oh no, this is we boring. Doing that for the past ten years. Right? If you have a team that is creative, they'll be more than open to try new things because that's part of being creative. Okay, so I have another question. Do you think people who are creative are less perfectionist? Sorry, this like. I think in general, when people try to put, I'll give you an example. So, do you know the the Carl Jung? Oh, well, you probably know the personality test, right? The Brick test. Uh, yes, I do. Exactly. So the brick test, it was initially invented by Carl Jung, a uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever, in the beginning of the 20th century. And he tried to basically bring down a personality of a human right down to paradigms. Uh, So a spectrum, right? You are either introverted or extroverted. You are either creative or, you know, well-organized, right? But, um, and so that turned into a variety of complicated brick tests that everybody's trying to do to try to find out, well, how everybody is doing and try to match teams and so on and so forth. But studies actually have found that conducting brick tests has absolutely no ability to forecast how someone performs. Hmm. So there is basically meta-analysis, right, where you take, let's say, when you hire a new person, Mm -hmm. right, and you try to predict and forecast how good they will be or what role they would fit, right? So they've basically taken a variety of different methods like interviews, IQ tests, EQ tests, brick tests. And uh, brick tests were about 5% effective at predicting how someone will be performing. Meaning meaning a, a human personality is much more complicated than 10, 6, whatever, 20 paradigms from left to right. You could be introverted on one day, extroverted on another. You can be uh, you know, creative and well-organized and uh, that's just the way it is. And simplifying a human personality down to, well, this is, we're not machines, let's put it this way. And data shows that's 
quite frankly, all of those studies are bullshit. Okay, so you actually don't want to answer my question. No, I'm telling to you, you are, you're stating the question from a perspective as if someone can be one and or not the other, but it's actually false. People can be creative and this and that at the same time. At different times. But People can be creative so and stubborn, right? Right, like, what is the, that was, that's a discussion about, like, um, in general. Don't you think there is, like, a, no, you don't think you answered that already. Okay, good. Let's move on. <laughs> I think on that note, I mean, we have one more piece of news, but. Uh, Actually, uh, we're running out of time. That is correct. We don't want to make uh, our how listeners. Important, so how important was it? What, do you really want to talk about it or do you think it's fine? I would rate it on a scale of 10. I would rate it a 6. Okay. Well, then we don't talk about it. 6 is not enough. All right. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I'm sure. All right. I mean, North Korea building a wall is definitely a 10, right? So. God. Yeah. But I think we should talk about the, next, the new news next week. Correct. So thank you very much all for listening. Yes, thank you very much. We will come back to you next Sunday, hopefully with a bit more. See. <laughs> See. Bye, bye. Bye. Have a great week. Ciao, ciao.